0: Oh, what's happening, the beautiful people, the beautiful people. Welcome to Mean Age Daydream, your show to hate life positively or positively hate life, (laughs) however you want to do it. Welcome, guys. I am Brian McWilliams, as you heard earlier in my intro by myself. So you pretty much know what you're getting into. I'm uh, here. I'm back from Freedom Fest, which was a uh, a good time had by all. I will say that and uh, had a lot of fun. Had a lot of fun, met up with a lot of people. You know, obviously, people I've met through the uh, the different times and tribulations of the Liberty Movement. So it's always fun to get together there. And uh, met some new folks, too. I uh, did an interview on TNT Radio with Misty Winson. That was a lot of fun. Uh, definitely check her out. She has great work, especially on Assange. Also, a uh, comedian and podcaster named uh, Bart Baggett. He's a funny guy. Did an interview with him. I'm not sure exactly when it's going to come out, but I'll share it. Funky interviews, funny. I got to talk about liberty, but I also got to talk about how, uh, you know, my genitals just vibrate at a resting level uh, when I'm not even on a motorcycle. That's what I got into at Freedom Fest. So I'm happy to be back. I think I'm finally recovered. I was pretty hungover for a couple of days. As you know, your boy loves to be hungover, but I'm back and uh, and here with the vengeance. And despite uh, all of the hand-wringing, from the Southern Poverty Law Center about what Freedom Fest is, what it represents, and how Andrew Yang is now racist and complicit in uh, white nationalism for simply attending Freedom Fest, a place where they canceled a documentary about Nick Fuentes and uh, how he got hundreds of thousands of dollars stolen from him by the government. Remember, they did not have him at Freedom Fest. They canceled him. I still think they should have shown the film personally, which is by uh, Jason Rink. They still should have showed it. I I don't like that Freedom Fest said they were going to run it and then pulled it, but... Regardless, the SPLC is so beyond ridiculous with their just the mentality of guilt by association and also just trumped up accusations founded in nonsense. And they can't even do the basic fact checking in their in their articles. Right. The one that just came out about Andrew Yang being at Freedom Fest, of course, also raps in Dave Smith, also raps in Clint Russell of Liberty Lockdown, also raps in Reed Coverdale, who uh, coincidentally slept in the bed next to me on on Saturday. I'm going to have a song. A little, little parody song I'll bring up a little bit later today. And if you want to hear a long breakdown about the SPLC and their ridiculous article, go listen to part of the problem that Dave did. He did a nice breakdown of that. And uh, sadly, did not get to see David at Freedom Fest, but glad everything is good with him. So, first things first. I just saw, right before I recorded this podcast, a video I guess the Democrats, you know, the Democrats are all about stunts that are meaningless. Uh, They like to get on camera. They like to show that they're just so front and center. Like, remember when all the asshole Democrats, I believe it was in Texas, they got on an airplane and flew across the country to avoid voting on a bill. Now not only this is you know, arguably illegal, it is a uh, definitely shirking your obligation to govern. And whether or not you agree with the politics of it, your obligation is to still govern and vote on the bills, in which you're forced to you're forced to read it pretty well. We don't know if any of them actually read it, but your job, your you're basically your only job, really is to vote on stuff, Hillary Clinton style. Hillary Clinton never got anything passed, right? Don't forget, she became secretary of state where she didn't have to get bills passed to bomb people and have, you know, dictators have knives shoved up their asses and then turned Libya into a, an open slave market. No bills were required for that for Hillary Clinton. When she was actually in the Senate, she got nothing passed, absolutely nothing. So her job was purely to vote. And these people's jobs are to vote. But instead of that, they like to grandstand. They like to go and pretend to be arrested, which is now the new hip thing to do. It's, AOC is no longer content, I don't know, cooking bell peppers in her kitchen and staring creepily into a uh, into a camera, doing selfie-style interviews as she uh, harangues the population for not being woke enough. No. Now, and I don't even know what the hell this protest was for. I just saw the video re- literally moments before I jumped on the podcast. She's there but with a bunch of other asshole Democrats getting arrested, right? Quote, unquote, arrested, or at least pretending to because there's a video showing her walking away. She puts her hands behind her back as though they are handcuffed or zip tied, right? Like somebody who's being arrested and pretends to be getting, you know, taken away by the police, taken away from the Supreme Court in quote-unquote cuffs. But then, of course, as you see her walk away, there's no handcuffs on her hands. There's no zip ties on her hands. It's just like she pretended to be under attack during the Capitol Six uh, riots or assault on our democracy, depending on your viewpoint. Just like she pretended to be in dire danger when she was nowhere close to where anything was happening, she now is pretending to have been arrested for this cause. Like, she's some great martyr out there. When all they were doing was escorting her away from the building. She was not arrested. She was not handcuffed. She was not zip-tied. She was not beaten about the head and arms. She wasn't even catcalled like she was the other day by, uh, I don't know, some dude where she got all up in arms and said that it was like an assault to come and call her, you know, is something like, some guy said like she had a delicious Latina booty, <laughs> which I don't even think is accurate either. I think she's pretending to have a delicious Latina booty. Anyway, a new level of pathetic garbage coming out of AOC, and what's so funny too is she smiles at the camera, while pretending to be handcuffed, and then as soon as she thinks she's out of range of the photographers, she puts her hand up like in the "we gotta fight" symbol, you know, like the old Black Panther style. Maybe wait till you're out of uh, out of eye shot, there, AOC, to raise your hand. I knew what an asshole. That's just he neither here nor there. Just had to mention it. Really, what I want to get into today, so couple things. Number one, I'll give you a little bit more insight into Freedom Fest and uh, and some of my thoughts there. But before I do that, there was another news story that came out. It was trending all over Twitter. And there were like two or three videos of a parade at Sesame Place. Now, if you don't know what Sesame Place is, shame on you. Sesame Place is the theme park for Sesame Street. I know. Look how that happens. Now, I have direct experience with Sesame Place. I worked at the one and only. There used to be only one. Now there's a larger one and newer one in San Diego, which took over, I think, SeaWorld, which went out of business after the whole uh, exposing of the uh, ill treatment of whales and dolphins. And uh, the amount of semen they found in those blowholes was just absolutely tragic. You say absolutely tragic. But I mean, they're called a blowhole. You got to blow it out. That's on the dolphins. That's what I say. That's on the dolphins and on the whales for dressing so provocatively. But, you know, a lot of mistreatment of those animals. So they shut it down. Now it's a Sesame Place. But before San Diego got its Sesame Place, there was one and only. And it was in Fair... i would blank blanket on the name of the town now. It's not Levittown. Fairless Hills. It was in Fairless Hills, Pennsylvania, right next to the Oxford Valley Mall. Legitimately... 45, maybe an hour from the airport, right? So it's not like it's next to a real city hub. It's not like it's even in the city or adjacent to the city of Philadelphia. And remember, this is the only theme park in the world. For Sesame Street, one of the most popular long-running children's shows in the history of television, one that's still on to this day that's never taken a break, right? One that every child in the world knows every character instantaneously, as do their parents, as do their grandparents. The only one in existence was next to a mall and not even a particularly good mall near my hometown. I grew up in Yardley, Pennsylvania, and this mall was maybe 15, 20 minutes away, but near nothing. And it was a tiny, shitty little place. I mean, granted, it was joyous in a way, but a tiny, shitty little place that charged $60 a person to get it. I worked at this very theme park for about four years. First as a host, then as an entertainer, because obviously, look at me, I'm a brilliant entertainer. So I do like improv comedy, strolling around. I think I had a pirate character. You know, I'd go up to people and I'd pretend to to fish on them and talk to them like a pirate. Hi matey, you got something growing out of the side of your neck? Oh, that's your son? Oh, boy. You know, that kind of shit. Pretending people's ugly kids were parrots and talking to them in bird language. Even let your mind run wild, that was what I would do with these people in the street and I juggle. <laughs> so I did that for a couple of years. Then I worked at the Spooky Kooky Castle Magic Show as Stiffs the Butler and had quite a bit of fun with that. A few mishaps, uh, namely playing three-card Monty and half the crowd is Japanese in this place. And I'd get bored and make up my own lines. And I told uh, one time, a um, definitely a lesbian woman who was on stage with me, that she was bombing at the game we were playing, the three-card Monty, bombing like the Enola Gay. Did not go over well with the Japanese crowd, as you might imagine. Didn't really think about the fact that there were Japanese crowd in the audience, but referencing the plane that dropped the bomb on Hiroshima and, uh, and saying Enola Gay to the, uh, the lesbian on stage in the plaid shirt, none of these things were conducive to a good environment for a children's show. Somehow didn't get fired. But I digress. The reason I bring up Sesame Place is because, like I said, there are the three videos that surface of a children's parade, right? These things happen like three times a day, where one of the characters, Rosita, uh, ironically a Muppet of quote-unquote color, since she is a Latina or Latinx, I don't know. Nobody uses that term, is doing the parade route, and it shows her kind of high-fiving kids, and then there's two little black kids that want to say hi. And instead of going up to the black kids, she like, it looks like she says, like, oh, no, no, I can't do it. And she walks away. Right. So this mother, of course, because we're programmed in our minds to cry racism all the time for everything. Of course, the black mother goes, this is racist. This this Muppet won't go and hug my kids after high fiving this white child next to her. Now, there's, of course, like one other video of Rosita apparently also not hugging another black child. This has now been blown up into the Rosita character must be ousted. Take off the helmet. Take off the costume and out in the street. Deal Hughley, who is a notable asshole, he is saying that it's they're wearing hoods like the KKK. <laughs> we're talking about literal Muppets. People in giant shag carpet costumes with googly eyes is what we're talking about. And he is comparing them to the KKK because the Muppet didn't hug his kid. Or somebody's kid. Now, I can guarantee you, if everybody went through their phones, they could find 4,000 videos of Rosita hugging a black child and high-fiving a black child at this park. Philadelphia is not a white area, guys. I and mean, at my high school, you know, it, was, it was mixed. I would say the black population, probably 20%, right? It's probably 20% black. Uh, Asians were the least represented, I think. Maybe 10% Asian uh, and, and Indian. But, you know let's say 70% white, 20% black, 10% whatever, then, you know, 10% Hispanics, maybe 60% white. Yeah, but diverse enough. I knew a lot of black kids growing up. knew a lot of everybody growing up. Suffice to say, Sesame Place was a very diverse environment. When I worked there, I regularly would interact with kids of all ages, all sizes, all colors. And regardless, they were all pretty much little dicks because that's what kids are. But all these kids want to go up and hug the Muppets. That's the whole point. That's why they do the parade. They want to hug the Muppets. What these people that are saying, oh, well, Rosita ignored my kid because they're black. What these fucking idiots don't realize is number one, you can't see shit in those costumes. I doubt Rosita could tell if these kids were black or alien. I doubt that she could tell them from, uh, from a pile of rocks, right? You got this black mesh and funny, you. you're sweating your tits off. And I'll tell you the story of when I was Big Bird because I have a direct experience of this. It's a funny story. You're sweating your tits off. You got, you know, sweating your eyes. You're dying because it's 98 degrees and you're in a heavy suit. And these suits do not have AC blowing through them. And you got a parade that's about 10 minutes long. You got to walk from one end of the park to the other end of the park in 10 minutes Right, while hugging, while waving, while interacting, while sometimes you have to stop and do dances. Right, that's what these people also. That she, this per- person—I don't know if it's a guy or a girl in the suit. Right, sometimes it could go either way. This person that's in this Rosita costume is high and hugging every kid wants to come up and say what's up, and they're like, okay, I can't say hi to everybody, right? I got to go walk this way and keep up with the parade route because there's shit coming behind me. There's a marching band behind me. I have to go do a dance that's coordinated in the middle of the street at exactly 1152. Otherwise, I get my ass reamed out and they boot me out of the Muppet Hut, which is the name of the place they all get dressed. So it pisses me off when I see dumbass accusations of racism being levied because they said, we're all pre-programmed now. To think anything is racist rather than just, sorry, there's a billion kids and we got to move on. Not every kid gets said hello to. And I'm sure they went and said hi to 15 other Muppets. They only said Rosita, right? Because just this one character in the parade pulled this action. Now, if Rosita was standing on the uh, the Bumblebee record player or whatever in the middle of the park and kicking all the black kids in the face as they try to come up and get a picture or sit on her lap, that's a different matter. But during a parade, get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. I'm just so, I'm so sick of things always being the first go-to is racism. It's driving me nuts. Ties in with the SPLC shit too. But before I move on to that, I will tell you my story about being Big Bird. Because as I said, I have firsthand knowledge of how this works. I've been... I've also, been, by the way, been in the parade many, many times. So I had this character who's supposed to be like a Buddy Holly character. Burned the shit out of myself on dry ice, by the way, one time. Because, you know, I'm, I'm goofing around. I'm dancing in this kind of Buddy Holly outfit. Yeah, you know, If I had been smarter, I would have pulled a picture I have lying around and posted it during this. But dancing around, doing little tricks, you know, stuck my hand in a cooler full of Shamu ice pops or something like that and burned the crap out of myself. I was pretending I was being drawn into the uh, the cooler. But I also was in the parade in one of the floats as like a Muppet one time. And they'd call me in when they didn't have enough people because I was an entertainer. I was 6'3", right? And you have to be a certain size to do certain characters. As Big Bird, you need to be at least 6'2". So the guy that's playing Big Bird's probably called out, probably hung over. We did have a guy throw up in a telemonster costume one time, hung over, right on a kid's head. Probably accused of racism. <laughs> this guy only pukes on Hispanics.
1: I don't know. Oh, my God. He's puking beans on him. He ate beans to puke on that Hispanic child. I can't believe it.
0: So anyway, Big Bird's sick. So they come up to me and they go, hey, Brian, do you want to be Big Bird? I was like, yeah. Yeah, I want to be Big Bird, man. Big Bird's king of this park, king for a day. So I march into the Muppet hut, and I'm like, give me some of that. Good, Big Bird loving. What I get is this massive 80-pound apparatus, right? They're hanging from the ceiling like giant nut sacks covered in yellow feathers, right? And I got to crawl up inside this nut sack, and you put one arm through the one side, right? The other arms you got to keep inside because it controls the beak and the head, right? You turn the head, squeeze the thing, beak opens. So you got one good slapping arm to keep these kids at bay, and then you got to put on the leggings. The leggings, which are about an inch felt thick, right? Ribbed for the children's pleasure. And these massive feet that I shit you not, they had to be at, at minimum a foot and a half wide, right? And they're long too. They're like a foot and a half wide and probably a foot and a half long. You've seen what Big Bird looks like. Imagine that. I know I'm describing it to you. <laughs> you know, my whole point is everybody knows what Big Bird is. So anyway, I put on this heavy ass shit. I got a bandana on, right? Because I go outside and immediately I'm just dying. I'm like, oh, this was such a bad decision. And I got this little girl who's like 16 walking with me. I think I was like 19 at the time. I'm walking out. I got to walk all the way out through the park, waving at kids, you know, Aah! giving hugs, opening the mouth. Ah! And I'm walking and I'm like, this is such a bad idea, man. It's so hot. I already want to die. And this little chick's walking next to me. She's supposed to keep the kids at bay, but they're just like, please swarm you. Big bird, king of the park. Swarm your ass. So I'm like, all right, let's go. Get to the, my little record player, as I said, where the kids come and take pictures. And they sit on you. I'm covered in sweat. I don't know if it's urine from the children. I don't know if it's my sweat and urine. It was just a moppy, swappy mess. So after 30 minutes of this, the, little, the host girl next to me, she goes, okay, you're done. And I was like, good. Got up. And I'm like, I got to get out of this costume. I'm going to die. So I start walking like real fast, right? And I'm like, eh, basically running. Basically running at this point. So I see, dead across from where I'm sitting on this giant record player, that's the exit. And it's like in a fence, it's about 50 yards away. So I'm like, here we go. I'm like, I ain't stopping for shit, man, I'm getting out. So I start hoofing it, you know, going, ha, ha, ha. And I'm like running this Big Bird as fast as I can without looking like I'm really running. And all of a sudden, when I'm about 20 yards from the gate, I just hear a kid go, Big Bird! And that's when I felt a big thud with my big-ass, big bird foot, and the kid just goes flying. A good four feet. A good four feet. I kick this kid, running up to rub my leg, rub my leg, hug my leg. I kicked this kid a good four feet. And he hit and skid. He's like, "What up, dope?" And I'm like, well, I just hope he was retarded before I kicked him, because otherwise we're going to have a lawsuit on our hands. But I, I legitimately kicked this kid right in the fucking stomach. And I walked up to him, and I went, ah... Uh. Big Bird loves you. And then I ran, ran the rest of the way, full sprint back out the gate. Now, again, this is the second time I thought I was gonna be fired. Did not get fired. Didn't even hear a complaint about it. So I guess either the kid didn't tell his parents or the parents were like, that's why you don't run in front of Big Bird when he's walking and he couldn't see you. Like the parents I'm sure knew I couldn't see shit because in Big Bird, you're seeing out of a slit covered in feathers, right? You can't see anything. So point being, I can't remember if that kid was white or black or Chinese. I don't fucking remember. All I know is I couldn't see him and I kicked him right in the gut. So point being, you called people racist because they didn't give your kid a high five or a hug or what the fuck ever. Shut the fuck up until you know what it's like to be in a suit where you can't see anything In 98 degrees, in the middle of summer, sweating your eyes, piss on your lap, you don't know what you're talking about. It's not racism. It's just a very difficult job to do. So there you go. All right, in the middle of this guys, I want to remind you about our sponsor which is IP Vanish VPN services guys, ipvanish.com forward slash lions. You can get in there, get 70% off a service that is going to prevent you from being tracked around the internet. Followed from website to website, checking your IP address, get, you know, pitching you ads you don't want, hacking in and seeing what you're doing, what you're reading, what you've been basically with IPVanish you can protect yourself and protect your loved ones from these hackers from these spying apparatus from all the uh the widgets and bots and ads that track every th- single thing you do. Not only that, but as I said, protects your IP address hides that physical location. That does have a lot of benefits as well that I won't go into here. But proof being they have Thousands of reviews on Trustpilot. Again, one of the highest reviewed VPNs out there. They've been at this for years. They know exactly what they're doing. They've got tech where you can basically push a button and you're protected across all of your devices, your laptops, your phone, uh, your Roku. One button, bingo, baby. You are protected as is your IP. So what I want you to do, use promo code lions at ipvanish.com forward slash lions. You're going to get 70% off a year-long subscription. Works out to about $3.20 a month. Beat that with a stick. You can't. It's too fast. Anyway, again, ipvanish.com forward slash lions. Get that 70% off. Also, if you want to hear me doing character voices, doing do nothing, my mention, I was an actor. Of course, I do my do nothing man, superhero, libertarian superhero. I will be getting an episode recorded this very week that will go out to our Lions of Liberty Patreon pride members. And as I mentioned, I will coincide the launch and the drop of that episode with the brand new Do Nothing Man Patreon where I will be doing more to raise money to make more shows regularly on a regular basis and get this thing animated, get it out there. We're going to kick Tuttle Twins right the fuck to the curb. (laughs) we're going to put out something better. No, it's going to be a very different show. (laughs) Not for kids. Not for kids that do nothing, man. But anyway, go to patreon.com forward slash lionsofliberty or lionsofliberty.locals.com. You can get in there, support the show, get the bonus content. Of course, my Good Morning Fuckhead Daily Rants just did one today, uh, which is uh, just purely dynamite. Fantastic stuff. And, of course, all the other shit that goes on here. Early access, uh, conspiracy corners and all that. And degenerate gamblers. To be coming back again all right so get back on the show freedom fest was fun i will say a couple high-level takeaways you know, good level of presenters and panelists there. I uh, I did a panel on redefining the language of liberty. You know, basically how you talk about liberty to uh, to other people. Now, as a moderator of the panel, unfortunately, I didn't get to add too much of my insight, which is sad because it's like you know, I was like, all right, let's get a uh, talk to the organizers. I'm like, yeah, like, I'd love to be on some panels here. And they're like, oh, you're you know, you're good at talking, good at this and that. You want to moderate? I'm like, yeah, sure. So, of course, as moderator, I come up with these dynamite questions that I don't get to answer. So I'm hosting a panel that I know everything about, and I can't add to it. shit. But as a great guest. Sean Malone was on there. Uh, Jonathan was on there. He was running for uh, Alabama Senate. Uh, Brittany Hunter was on there. And Dan Fishman was on there. And we had a rousing conversation. So good chalk. I was surprised how many people showed up. There's about 50, 60 people, I think, in the room, because uh, they scheduled everything at the same time. <laughs> Just madness. But... Good turnout, a good mix of people. There were some young, I would say it skews a little older, and I was shocked how much older it does skew. Um, the average, if you had to take the mean age, Daydream, the mean age of people there, I'm going to go with 42. That's not to say there were younger, there were plenty of young people there, you know, people in their 20s, people in their 30s. Of course, me, I am I am 42. But I couldn't believe the number of incredibly old people that were at this event, because Frankly, when I'm over 60, unless I'm speaking at something, I'm not going to shit. I'm not getting off my lazy boy. I'm not stopping watching Matlock to go to a conference. Are you bonkers? But I'm surprised people could even stay awake through the presentations. There was a guy sitting in front of me for what was a fantastic talk, actually, with John Cleese and uh, Nick Gillespie. And Nick's a very funny guy, by the way. If If you've never talked to Nick, well, number one, Go back and listen to the Electric Liberty Land I did with Nick about South Park. And, uh, and I was talking with him actually at the convention. I'm going to have him back on soon. And, you know, topic TBD. I want to talk about something that's just kind of pop culture with him. But he's got a very dry and very funny sense of humor you wouldn't expect. So he actually went pretty well toe-to-toe with John Cleese and had some very good laughs in there. But there's a guy sitting in front of me. This guy had to be 92 if he was a day. I mean, he, he had the walker. He had the air tank. You know, he was uh, hunched over with just wisps coming out of the top of his head. And I i mean, he looked like Low Pan, actually, out of uh, Big Trouble in Little China. You ever see that fantastic film? But I was just like, damn, man, just stay at home. Eat some parge, do some heroin, like a little bit of sunshine. What the hell are you doing here, traipsing around Vegas, even going to this conference? Fuck that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, him amount of old people that were there. But regardless it seems like a really interesting event um i think important topics get discussed there that are good crossovers from libertarian party perspectives into the mainstream and i'm looking forward to going the next couple years and really seeing how that overlaps because i think you're going to see a big shift in freedom fest's attendees and in the culture at large and as i said even though the Supreme Court decisions might be pushing some people towards the GOP again, I think the opportunity to make a culturally relevant move towards freedom, liberty, personal responsibility, private property rights is something that we're going to see. So even Freedom Fest as itself just might naturally go towards a libertarian focus. So while I was there, I did meet up with uh, Matt and Terry Kibby and I want to give an anecdote from a talk they gave because so I thought it was fascinating. And this is, this is neither here nor there, but it does overlap because they did a talk on how despots hate censorship. And it was really fascinating to watch culturally and historically the actions that governments have taken to crush art, to crush expression, especially music. One amazing example they gave was with the plastic people. Of course, this is probably like the Velvet Underground, but the plastic people in Czechoslovakia were the government literally made it illegal to play music without a government permit. They confiscated and well, able, yeah, I can say confiscate, they probably couldn't confiscate all the weapons or all the uh, the instruments. But sorry, they made instruments essentially like library books where you had to have government permission. The government annexed and says, we owned all the instruments now in the country, right, by fiat, bam. We own all the instruments of in the country. And you have to check in with us and check out an instrument like a library book to play any music. And it caused such an uproar because the plastic people were playing, you know, they're they're out there playing uh, playing songs, really galvanizing the public and inspiring the public against this absurd ruling and this absurd power grab and authoritarianism of trying to crush art and expression that that was really the linchpin in taking down the government. But it goes to show you the lengths the government will go to. And I'm looking at China right now, I'm looking at the, the different ways in which our country operates, but also how China has taken away the ability to video game. And I've said this on the show before, but I want to reemphasize this. You see the desperation, like what Czechoslovakia did was a move of desperation. What you're seeing in China right now is a move of desperation because they know that they gave their population to get where they are, right? They embraced capitalism in a certain extent and it raised the middle class up. It raised the poverty level out. You know, in China, uh, China used to have unbelievable levels of poverty because of the size of the country and the rural areas. Those people have been lifted out. The... Mass rising of income, of uh, living levels, of health and longevity in China have been raised up to the point where the people there are not going to accept a lockdown and a a ripping away of that lifestyle they've become accustomed to. So, China's response, as is with all authoritarian, communist, and socialist nations, is to crack down, is to remove freedoms, to move, remove, to control society, the narratives that you hear there. And video games is a perfect example. Because they already have locked down the chat app. They already locked down social media. They already block websites and govern what you can and can't see, what you can and can't buy, what entertainment content comes into the nation. The one thing that they weren't able to really control as much was information flow through online video gaming. And as you know, China had a massive population of online gamers playing everything from StarCraft through to, uh, I don't know, Fortnite. And what Xi Jinping did was he said, okay, you're no longer allowed to play video games more than two hours, uh, I think it's a week, right? A a minuscule amount in in a week. Now, people thought, oh, well, this is for productivity purposes because he views the younger generation as being lazy of not helping out the cause, of not contributing to this great Chinese society, which, you know, arguably, sure, I guess so. (laughs) It's not that your point's wrong, although, you know, online gaming's a, a big industry. You can make a lot of money doing it. But the real impetus behind this was not that he wanted more productivity out of the youth of China. The real emphasis is because they could not control information flow of talking, of chatting online in this internationally connected game. And thus, they had to crack down it because that was the one remaining avenue and outlet for people to get information, to talk to people in an unfiltered environment. That's why the crackdown happened. So this talk that they gave, you know, it's, it was interesting and inspiring. And then I noticed within a day uh, a, a really interesting email that that uh, Howie forwarded along to us called the Five had mentioned this Chinese God. What's the artist's name? Uh, G Ah Gao Li. I think it's Gao Li. But he's an artist who during these lockdowns, right, in China, locked down hard during the latest COVID surge, which didn't work because it never works. But they locked down as hard as they could during this recent COVID surge, keeping people in their houses. Shanghai is notable because people are literally screaming out their windows for human contact, for help, for medical attention, for food. And In the meantime, the government narrative that they're pushing, all of the state media and the government social media profiles are pushing this lie showing all these fresh fruits and vegetables delivered. Here's all the fruits and vegetables delivered to your door from the government. Here's children playing in an indoor or a, a quarantine quad, right? A rosy future, just like the Australians put out those quarantine camps that people were forced into if they weren't vaccinated and showing a chick in the pool as though, oh, look at her. She's loving life, even though her life now exists inside of a concentration camp. You know, it's that type of thing. When the reality of the situation is that people are being beaten in the streets, people are being, you know, there's a horrible video of an old man being dragged away from an ambulance. He's trying to get his wife in and these guys just beat the shit out of him because he's trying to get his wife in an, in an ambulance, which then drives away, <laughs> leaves her. This guy found, this artist, again, I think it's Galilee, had started drawing with, you know, creating, because he didn't have art supplies, but he started creating different drawings on, you know, paper using Whatever was left around, you know, vegetable rot and stuff and drawing his interpretation of society during that point in time and showing the isolation and the desperation and how the government had cracked down. And naturally, the government now is trying to come after him. Despots hate art. When people panic, when governments panic, they crack down on art because they know that art is inspiration. And that's why, coming back around to my thing with the show and what we're trying to do and how we have to change philosophically how we describe what we believe in, in liberty, is that we have to embrace more art. We have to embrace inspiration rather than simply telling people, well, you're wrong. We would have done it differently, and you see how you're wrong. It's, that can be a component of what we're doing, but you have to be inspirational, philosophical, creative. And you have to sell the myth. So I said, we have to be myth makers. Now then, I'll get into one more topic here, but... And that's going to be uh, talking about one of the things that came up on my panel, which is convincing people that we can govern, right? As libertarians, as people that are free markets um, and private property, personal responsibility. So, convincing people we can govern. I'm going to give you some thoughts on that. But before I do, hopefully I can sing this song better than last week's song. But again, I have barely practiced this. And I was going to pre record it. I was going to pre record it and make it like a music video over the Southern P- P- Poverty Law Center's uh, pictures you know, scroll through their story and then cut it and put it in Final Cut Pro and mix this musical contribution. But then I said, you know what? It's a lot funnier if I don't. I think, he, I think you guys get a bigger kick out of it if I just suck shit and die than, than if I really blow your eardrums out with my, uh, with my greatness. So, without further ado, let me share my screen. Now, this is, of course, a song... That is dedicated to the Southern Poverty Law Center, to the hit piece that they did on Dave Smith, on Clint Russell and of uh, Reed Coverdale. And by the way, you know, please, you guys are probably familiar with Dave Smith, and part of the problem. But if you're not familiar with Liberty Lockdown, give him a listen. He's doing some great work, especially on the ESG stuff. Reed Coverdale with the Naturalist Capitalist. Both great guys. Loved hanging out with them in Vegas and uh, recommend them highly. So let's get into it here we go a little southern man splc version why there a fucking sound southern
1: poverty man
0: background singing pisses me off but hopefully you can hear me more I didn't realize it had the background vocals I
1: saw Dave Smith then I saw Clint mustache Reed Mansion in your attack
0: I went through like four different karaoke versions. There's like an 80-minute instrumental, by the way. That's why I stopped there. There's like 80 different karaoke versions. They all have the fucking background vocals. All of them. I can't just find an instrumental. Oh, well. That is what it is, guys. It is what it is. Maybe I should just sing it up straight up. I'll sing it quick in truncated format. If you guys couldn't hear it, it was
1: Southern Poverty Man, better check your facts You don't dare cause it's just still that The comedy change gonna come at last From these attack dogs, suck it ass S.P.L.C. Man I saw Dave Smith and I saw Clint Mustache Reed mentioned in your attack. S-P-L-C, when will you pay them back? You keep screaming and inventing demons. Suck long, suck schlong, suck it!
0: Anyway. <laughs> ah, good shit, good shit. I, wanted to, I get it, more songs. These are easy. I can, I can whip together a short song like that pretty quick. So I hope you enjoyed it. All right, last topic here, and then we'll uh, we'll call it a day here on Mean Age Daydream, guys. Oh, by the way, I want to shout out to Michael Bolton, also who has been slandered, the OG of getting slandered in the libertarian movement by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Michael Bolton from the 10th Amendment Center, uh, also a good friend of mine. Check him out. Love what he's doing. All right, last thing. So on my topic, on my panel, one of the questions that came up, and it mean, came up, I mean, I asked, was how we can convince people as libertarians that we can govern. Right. And this is a question that we have to think about because we haven't had a lot of experience, especially in the modern era, with governance. Now, that can become an issue when people look at the two governing parties and they say, kind of like, I guess Donald Trump's a perfect example here, and I'll get into that, but kind of like when saying, How are you going to run a government when you have no experience within this this sector? How can you just take over this institution without completely messing it up, fucking everything up, causing all this, you know, all these problems? Because you don't know how this bureaucracy works. You don't know how it's like being a mechanic and you say, well, I think I can build a better car. And then somebody gives you a car and you go, I don't know how this shit works. So how do we overcome that concept from the outside? There's a couple of different things I think that we can communicate to people. Number one is simply that governments have been around in different iterations forever. We have fantastic examples of people, revolutionaries through to simple political uh, operators, that have never had any experience in governments, and yet were able to fully function, take over government, and create one. For Christ's sakes, the founders of the United States had never run a government before, and then they created the greatest government of all time. If anything, not being familiar with the bureaucracy, not having operated within the bureaucracy and knowing how that bureaucracy continues to perpetuate itself, grow itself, how many people are going you know, to, there's almost something that you can be made that you would have more sympathy for, the, dis, for the, the bureaucracy, for the government, for the monolith that you're supposed to be dismantling. Because we're at the point where it has to be dismantled. It has to be pulled in as much as humanly possible. You can make the argument, and I think a lot of people would agree with this, that not knowing everything about that is going to give you the ability to dismantle it faster and more efficiently because you don't have allegiances built you don't have people that have ties to you that you've done favors for or they've done favors for you you don't have people that have dirt on you within the system you don't have people that are going to come after you and beg and plead you uh, and and wean and whine about what's going to happen to them and their family or what's going to happen to the to the possums the endangered possums of you know, buttfuck rich because you're coming in from a top-down perspective now this was the pitch of donald trump right? This was, I will drain the swamp because I don't know, I don't have an allegiance to government. I haven't been an operative within this system to build up all of these back alley deals that I have to now stick to. I don't have lobbyists that I owe an allegiance to. I don't have a party affiliation that I have to have allegiance to from people that I've been working with for years. Now, Trump failed spectacularly at this. He was being undermined at all sides by the deep state. But you have to expect that if you're coming in and threatening to undermine the system to to basically rein in the power structure that's been built, of course, you're going to have enemies and the media didn't help him. But Donald Trump also didn't help himself because he brought in more animals of the same system. It's like, okay, we've got a problem with a pack of wolves here. Let me see. You know what? Let me bring in the, uh, the wolf from this other pack and see if he can help control this current pack. And of course, nothing ever works out that way. You just still bring in wolves into the hen house. So I think we can say that there's a good argument to be made for the fact that not being in government, not working as an operative is a benefit to dismantle the system. And also that you're going to have a fresh perspective. There's a reason people bring in from a business perspective, bring in new blood. The reason they bring in people from different industries to try to apply principles to their current failing industry. And the government is a failed industry. It's an industry that is rife with corruption. It's an industry that has a monopoly on many forms of business interaction, which it should not and which are a detriment to the operating of that, such as controlling of licensing, controlling of, uh, you know licenses for uh for your cars for your guns for your hair salon the ability to regulate money right that's a power that the government should never have had and yet it has it and it spectacularly fucked it up you need a, pre- a fresh perspective on that industry to be able to revitalize it to be able to cut the waste and get it streamlined again to the point where it's functional at least to stabilize it so why do we come in and try something new we have examples of governments failing when we have the principles that we want to apply, right? Let's take, a time, let's take a little time machine and go back in history. The best example of governance under our philosophy is when the United States was growing at a faster rate than any nation in the world, where we had expanded our power militaristically to, by virtue of having enough money to do that and enough stability because we're not traipsing out all over the world to invade countries. We had to get rich enough, we had to get corrupt enough to the point where we started doing that. But the original foundation is to stay at home, to give people as much financial, economic, and personal freedom to start businesses, to grow their family, to grow their business. That is what made America successful. That's what made it the destination, not the destination of, well, America's got the biggest military in the world. That's, that, nobody comes to America for that. The elites, the power players, that's what they want because that brings the most money to this small cadre of people. But the governing philosophies that we want to see put into place were overseen during the period where America was completely stabilized, where you had growth in everybody's individual incomes all the way through to, I don't know, I'm going to say 50 years ago, maybe, where things really destabilized. Maybe, actually, maybe through the 40s and 50s, right, right before World War One. So we've got examples of the economic, the cultural, the freedom, the personal responsibility philosophies where... Things were growth-oriented, where things were better. We didn't have the murder rates like we do today. We don't have the problems with mass shootings like we do today. We didn't even have uh, so many issues in regards to uh, monetary capabilities like we do today. Because again, until we went off the gold standard, these things weren't in place, and then everything went sideways. So we've got historical precedent. We also have many examples of how many times you have a country using the principles that we advocate for, abdicate and and basically move on from those principles or bastardize those principles in the name of quote-unquote equality. Sweden, Norway, basically all the Nordic countries are perfect examples of this because they are, in fact, very free market oriented. And they were even more free market oriented for a long time when they came up and they made all of this money, right? And then people started clamoring because they had all this money and all this freedom. They start clamoring. They say, well, you know what? There's inequality here. We didn't have everybody get a, a fair share. They should have UBI. They should have you know, healthcare health paid for. They have X, Y, and Z, you name it. They put that into place, which means they have to have higher taxes. Which means They have higher regulation, which means they start to pilfer the pockets of the people more. And what happens? Oh, that's right. The society starts to degrade. They start to get worse income. They start to get uh, less investment. They have less ingenuity. They have less entrepreneurship, less business, less success across the board. Plus, you have rampant corruption because every single time that you introduce new government institutions, new government control and expand the power and scope of government, you expand the power and scope of corruption. That's the beauty of free market economics is that you don't have concentrated power in the hands of one entity. You might have very different—you know, you might have a lot of power spread out throughout the nation in different countries or different uh, companies, in different people's hands, but the thing is they don't control the whole industry. They don't control who gets in and who gets out. They don't control who can make products and how fast they can make products and how fast they can release products like the government does. They can't shut your business down if you decide to cross them in one way, shape, or form, or if they deem that you cross them in one shape or form, because the free market allows people to prosper, to thrive, and also for undercoming or, or let's say up-and-coming entrepreneurs, innovators, to take out the biggest dogs. When they don't have cronyism to back them up, you can see the success rate there. When you do have large government institutions controlling business interests like you have in a China, right, which clamp down again, and you see what's happened. You see that what once was a thriving business environment, now nobody wants to invest in. They're bleeding money. They don't have enough now income to support all these social programs, all, this, all the ghost cities that they built out. To my point about Sweden and Nord- these Nordic countries, they went full socialist and then it ruined their culture, ruined their business, ruined the economy of the country. And then they went the other way because they said, okay, we got to find a happy middle ground here. Now for me, that middle ground might not be ideal. I still think they're too socialist, but they kept the free market Capitalism in place. They kept the low cost, discarded business. They kept the economic incentives for people to invest and to grow businesses in Norway and in Sweden, etc., in place. So, looking at the failures, I mean, it's Latin America is another perfect example of Venezuela, of uh, what's going to be happening, uh, probably what's going to be happening very soon in uh, Colombia. Deserving a leadership change is going far more socialist. After having unprecedented success, unprecedented growth in the middle class and the lower class, these people get too comfortable and they say, well, now we got to focus on equality. And it destroys it and it makes everything far more unequal and tends to take money directly out of the pockets of the population to put it in the pockets of the elite. Other thing is, you know, when we talk about a philosophy of leadership, I think we have to talk about a bold belief in ideas and the ability to test those ideals and admit failure. And I think that that's one thing when you talk about leadership, that the current parties in power simply are unwilling to do. There is no culpability. There's no responsibility. There's no acknowledgement of failed policy. If anything, it's a doubling down on failed policy. It's, a, it's an inability to admit wrongdoing, wrong thinking, And instead, simply obfuscating the facts, lying to people, which is what we see constantly, right, lying about results, or simply thinking that the almighty dollar will fix the problem. Rather than saying, we need to change it, we need to tear this down, and we were in fact wrong about this. I think a fresh perspective on leadership is simply admitting the ability to fail, the ability to learn. And that's what free markets are. That's why we can preach that we can be different, that we can lead, because we're coming from a perspective of having no sacred cows. The only sacred cow that exists is what works. What's going to succeed? What's going to lead to the most personal and communal prosperity for everybody that's being governed under a system like this? And we can say that you have to uh, have no fear going in trying something and failing and then saying all right let's move on and try something else and it may have never been tried before but let's give it a go and let's see if it works now that's a scary thought you know one of the other questions i brought was how do we get past the fear for people of having less of a parachute you know how do you get over fear of personal obligation which most people are terrified of how do you get over the fear of having to you know literally save for yourself pay for your children's education uh, yada 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 when that's now been promised to you by government largesse as badly as they do it and i think as i've talked about some of the core principles there of leadership of we have to try something better because what you've got right now while you may feel secure in what you have it's failing you and it has failed consistently observably and through data points for the last 50 60 100 years and look where you are now. You're in a mode of panic. And that's in a situation where you have all of this government support behind you. You are panicking. We have businesses closing. We have war on the doorstep. We've got pandemics at home. What has this government largesse? What, has, what is all of this system that's been put into place uh, supposedly at your behalf to benefit you? What has it done for you? There must be a better way. So let us show you that better way. And we'll be fine to admit that we were wrong. And if it was wrong, then we can try something else. Anyway, that's my thoughts on that. Again, nothing really uh, too in-depth there. I, uh, again, kind of throwing this episode together, but that's what it is, man. Talk off the top of your head. So guys, thank you. Remember, to support the show, please subscribe to not only the Lions Liberty Network, but there are three shows here every week, Monday with the flagship Lions Liberty Show. And of course, I'm on Wednesdays, John Odermatt with Finding Freedom on Thursdays. Please subscribe to the show. Please share the show. Tell a friend, tweet it out, post it on your social media. Uh, If you see people on Reddit talking about what their favorite libertarian podcasts are or their favorite comedy podcasts, because this is both, make sure to share it that way. And I don't know, Hope you enjoyed it, guys. Hope you um will tune in again next week. All right, that's it. From me, Brian McWilliams from the Lions of Liberty Network and Mean Age Daydream. Keep those electric eyes on me, babe, and keep that ray gun to my head.